Hello, sun in my face. Hello, you who made the morning and spread it over the fields and into the faces of tulips and the nodding morning glories and into the windows of even the miserable and the crotchety. Best preacher that ever was, dear star, that just happens to be where you are in the universe, to keep us from ever darkness, to ease us with warm touching, to hold us in the great hands of light. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Watch now how I start the day, in happiness, in kindness. That is a poem by Mary Oliver titled, Why I Wake Early. Full disclosure, I wake early because my children wake me up. All the same, welcome back to the show. I hope you are well. Happy April, a month of growth, rebirth, and one of the things I adore the most, the ever-present sunshine. So today I share with you a conversation with Ashley Pagnata. Ashley spent five summers growing and learning as a PTC participant and five summers working in the Philmont backcountry. It was in 1998 at PTC that she learned of the newly revamped venturing program and quickly joined a crew once she returned home. She was enthusiastic about the opportunity to be a part of this co-ed, youth-led BSA leadership program. Recalling her formative experiences on staff, Ashley shares her love for knitting, reading the Phil News in the Backcountry by Candlelight, manning the radio during SARS on Baldy, and forming her own tradition of hiking with butterscotch chips and baking sweets for fellow staff. At Fish and Rich, she enjoyed the opportunity to learn and portray the lives of historic individuals. In 2006, descendants of the Rich family came to camp and had a meal with her and her staff. She was also part of an uncommon all-female staff at Fish Camp in the summer of 2005. Today, Ashley teaches astronomy and physics at the College of Charleston and studies exploding stars. During our interview, she appropriately wore a Tooth of Time Traders t-shirt showcasing Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, and Ursa Mini, that infamous Philmont mini bear. Ashley aspires to return to Philmont one day as a visiting astronomer at Ring Place. So thanks, Ashley, for helping me kick off season four of Silver on the Sage podcast. Let's hike on. Good evening, everybody. I am here with Ashley Pagnata, and she's coming from Charleston, South Carolina. So hi, Ashley. Hello. How are you doing, Caitlin? I'm great. I'm really excited to talk to you tonight. We were just talking off air about how your Philmont experience is um, kind of like this two-part participant experience because you were there for several years as a participant, mostly at PTC, and then obviously your staff experience as well. So Yeah, so I was super lucky. Um, My family was really involved in scouts, and my dad um, started taking trainings out at PTC um, when I was in middle school. And so we, the whole family went along. I was not much of a hiker yet. And so my first couple of times I did the base camp experience, I don't know what it's called now. It was called LJs at the time. What did 
LJ stand for? Los Jovenes, which I should know the translation of that, and I don't. Um, I Googled it. Right before this, I Googled it, and it's it said the young. Oh, okay. That makes yeah. sense. So like yeah. the youth. Yeah. Because it was the program for, yeah, like middle school and high schoolers. Um, and then once you were older than that, it was then it was called like senoritas because they assumed that only men would be taking training and all the wives would be along for the ride, which was not always true even then. Um, But uh, yeah, and it was fun. And we did the like arts and crafts and we did day hikes and we did, you know, stuff around base, um, horse rides, that kind of thing. One of those years, um, I I can see his face, but I don't remember his name. It doesn't matter. Um, Someone from the sort of, main national venturing uh, movement because this was right when they were revamping venturing and kind of um, splitting it off a little bit from exploring did a presentation about what venturing was and how it was this new thing for older scouts and it was co-ed and blah 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 and so we went back and found a venturing crew at our church and so I joined the venturing crew and that's when I started to do hiking and do a lot more camping that kind of thing. So in 1998 is when you first heard of venturing, and that was at PTC. Yes. And then um, where are you from originally? I'm from Houston, Texas. Okay. So you yeah. went back to Texas, and you found a venturing crew and ju- jumped into that. And jumped right into that, yeah. So I was in Girl Scouts also, and I like the Girl Scouts program. I think there are a lot of good things about it. But one of the frustrating things was that there wasn't a lot of – at the time, it was very leader – led. And so we did what our leader wanted to do, which was not necessarily what I wanted to do. And so I was really excited to get involved in venturing and have this more youth-led program where we were like, hey, we want to go backpacking. Okay, we're going to do this. And there were sort of fun and interesting awards that you could earn and that kind of thing. So I had fun doing um, like the venturing silver and I did a Hornaday Award and all that kind of stuff. I really enjoyed it. And then, so then I was like confident enough that when the next time we did PTC, I was like, oh no, I want to go on a mountain women trek. I want to do the hiking. And I just had a blast. I was so lucky. I got to do a couple of mountain treks, I think three total. I still keep in touch with some of my rangers and at least when one of the other participants, because one of the other participants happens to be, uh, she was Crystal Wilson at the time, Elder Wilson's daughter. And so then we both ended up on staff at the same time and that kind of thing. So I've kept in touch with a couple of them. Um, and I loved them. I, the mountain treks were so much fun. The sort of weirdest and most fun one and that we joked a lot about was my final one. Um, which was would have been in 2002. And I had graduated from high school. So I w- and I was 18. I showed up for mountain trek. And there were no other female participants at the time, like for that week. And it also happens to be the week that the mountain trek coordinator was going to go out with the mountain trek rangers to, you know, evaluate them and And so our trek ended up being me as the one participant with three rangers. And so we would joke that like, I, I was the real trouble. I needed a lot of supervision. 
um, <laughs> which was really fun. One of those strangers was Cindy Link, who's now Cindy Thomas, um, who was you know, on staff for a long time uh, with the ranger department. And then another one of those rangers, Lizzie, whose name I, last name I don't remember, Lizzie actually taught me how to knit. She was like, oh, no, I love knitting on the trail. It's the perfect, it's the perfect trail entertainment. It doesn't weigh anything. You just like toss it in your backpack, that kind of stuff. And that ended up being really formative for me. We would get into camp and sit around and knit at night. And I made a, excuse me, I made a hat on that trek that I still have. Um, it is very bad, but it's a, it's a first knitting project. I've over the years gotten better at it. It was, um, it's knitting has become like a thing for me. When I later on became on staff, I was on, in, I worked at a couple of different interp camps and I did a lot of knitting at interp camps and did a lot of research on the history of knitting and what kind of uh, tools and fibers would have been used. Um, that was a really fun sort of side. I don't, for people who have not worked at interp camps before, um, especially when you're CD, you do a lot of sort of general research on the camp and the history and what was going on and all that kind of stuff. That, but then I also did this uh, side research on knitting. It was fun looking through, you know, oh, here's the 1908 Sears catalog. What what could they have ordered? Interesting. What, what could they have actually had? So it was really fun. Um, and then I've made a lot of, or a couple of people from um, my tenure there who have also pretty bad hats that I made for them. <laughs> it still wasn't very good then. Sorry, my cat is being a nightmare. Okay. Um, I made them let me make them a replacement because um, the first ones were pretty janky. But then I taught a lot of people how to knit. You know, you're sitting on the porch. You've got time to kill. Here, learn how to do this. My uh, camp director at Crooked Creek when I was a PC there in, let's see, 2008, her name was Heather Harvey. And <gasps> I love Heather She so taught much. me how to knit or she made Yay! me a hat. Yeah, and Yay! I still have it. It's purple and black and... My kids wear it now, actually. So. Oh, I love that. I might have taught her. No way. She might. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. It's possible that she knew beforehand, but it's also very possible that I taught her. Yeah. We were at Rich together. Okay. Um, awesome. Yeah. The, the hobby and the history of knitting at Philmont and passing on that uh, skill. That's fun. Um, yeah. Very cool. I wanted to talk to you about your experience in 2000 as a participant you sent me your list of things you did, and it says that you did a venturing leadership trek. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. So that was really interesting. It was actually that summer I was supposed to go on a regular trek with a, oh, it's a, you know, like our parents worked together and so they were in scouts and I was yeah. going to go with <laughs> like their Boy Scout troop. Okay. So I was going to go with them and then our female advisor was diagnosed with breast cancer and had to start treatment right away and could no longer go. She's recovered now. She's good. But I don't know how my dad found it. I don't know if he called Philmont and was like, hey, my daughter is supposed to come on this regular trek and now she's unable. Like, is there a special trek that she can do? But somehow I got signed up for this venturing leadership trek. 
and it was again, so it was early, it was still part of the sort of relaunch of venturing and trying to make it a big deal. Um, but they never did it again. I think because it's a little, it was a little too similar to Rayado. But basically, what it was was it was a little bit longer than a regular trek. I think we had fourteen days in the backcountry, so it was like sixteen total. It was a co-ed trek because it was venturing. We got to do a lot of the sort of Rayado type things, which I I think those are still secret generally, so I won't talk about them. But we also had. You know, we would have folks come out and meet us at staff camps and talk to us about being a leader and that kind of thing. So it was just a, it was kind of a weird one-off that as far as I know, they've never repeated, but it was super fun because it was a, it was a very, it was a pretty evenly balanced co-ed mixed. And we had one male ranger and one female ranger and they were both awesome. And we got to see a lot of the ranch. It was, um, that 2000 was the year of, um, you know, one of the big fires. And I think the North country was open enough or like it was starting to reopen. So we got to go a little bit North. We were mostly South, but we got to, you know, climb a lot of mountains, shoot a lot of stuff, see a lot of campfires. Really fun. Since your father found this trek for you last minute, um, I assume you'd didn't know anybody on the trek. So did they know each other? I don't think so. I think there were a couple of people, if I recall correctly, and my memory is really weird because some things, like there are some things about Philmont that I could tell you every single detail of and other things that I'm like, I have no idea. Oh, I get that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm the same way. Uh, Okay, good. Yeah. I think there were a couple of people who were involved on the national level with with the venturing program at a national level and they knew each other. But if, as, as I recall, most people did not know each other going into it. And I was lucky because I had been training for the other regular Trek. So I was, you know, in sort of Trek form. I've never been a fast hiker and it's always coming from Houston, even just getting to base camp. It's always like, Where's, where'd the oxygen go? Yes, there's yeah. no oxygen here. Um, so it was it was definitely good that I had been um, doing a lot of training. It was cool because they did you know special P2K red bordered badges and oh, so the patch? or the Arrowhead patches. Oh, yeah, wow, cool. And so I have a red bordered Arrowhead patch that says Venturing Trek on it. Nice, which is um, I wear that one often because people are like, "What's that? I've never yeah. heard of that." Hot commodity. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah, that's really, that's interesting. I, I wonder if anyone listening will be like, I was on that track or I remember that, you know. I would love to know if anybody else remembers yeah, that. Yeah, maybe someone will um, reach out. Yeah. And that one, I know you've talked a lot, you talk a lot about journaling. I am not a great journaler. I wish that I was. But on that track in particular, they very specifically gave us journals and we were supposed to journal and don't know where that journal is, but somewhere there's a, there's a pretty good log of all of the things that we did. You'll have to dig it up someday. And yeah. I'll have to see next reminisce. time I go yeah. home if I can find that. There's a, I have a, a trunk of, it's actually a, mostly interps because my mom made a lot of interps for me. Oh. Um, and then we've kind of reused them and 
I love yeah. that. It's like a treasure trove of memories. It is. <laughs> it is. Lots of eye camps, lots of oh, yeah. Phil Newses, all that good yeah. stuff. Which they don't print anymore, I hear. I think it's what? all. Yeah. I how, do you, how do you read the Phil News when you're like on backcountry staff? I don't, I, don't quote me, but I think it's just like... I think they only do so many a year and it's less. And I think it's just like maybe a one page sheet or something. So I know, I guess it's times are changing, but I I loved getting the Phil news in the backcountry. It was like, you know, Oh, what's going on? It was like, it was like a real newspaper when you're in the (laughs) backcountry. Yeah. Because we were pretty, um, pretty disconnected. Yeah. We were out there. there. Not a lot going on. (laughs) And I got some, good recipes that I still use that are like still in my my normal recipe book yeah <laughs> from the, oh yeah from the, the Phil news is random yep. things that we put together in the backcountry well before we transition into the backcountry and your experience on staff I don't want to miss anything from all the years you were a participant uh, from 1997 to 2002 so as a participant I think my favorite spot on the ranch was um it was very possibly Indian writings. I loved IW. I just loved like the petroglyphs and the history, and there was always you know active um, archaeology going yeah. on, yeah. and I just thought that was super interesting. It's funny that was my favorite, and then I I never worked there because uh, I got kind of stuck in on the interp camps yeah it'll suck you in it'll get in your your blood (laughs) in your blood absolutely so after all those years as a participant were you just like dying to be on staff oh absolutely okay yeah 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 I was so excited and so ready to be on staff um and I wanted to be a ranger um and I joke that I mean it's not a joke it's true that I never got my first choice for any of any of the years that I applied for staff I never got my first choice because I think my first year I think I applied for a ranger first I do I mean I wish I should say I have a real soft spot in my heart for PTC I it was my introduction to everything and everyone who was there was wonderful you know even if that had been my only Philmont experience it would have been wonderful it's a really cool program and it was fun going out with my whole family you know like it was the family vacation we all went and you know a couple of years into it two years into it my mom had like because we would drive from texas and my mom is not so much of a camper um she likes to joke that her idea of roughing it is if she has to walk across the st- the parking lot from the hotel to the Waffle House to get breakfast. But so she, you know, the, the, in PTC, there's like the big tents for the family programs. And so within a year or two, she had started bringing like fold out shelves and little carpets and like made it very, um, very cozy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I think is adorable. So yeah. then, of course, my first year on staff, I was like, oh, yeah, you bring fold-out bookshelves to go in your tent, right? And everyone looked at me like, what is wrong with you? Thanks, Mom. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mom. <laughs> but it's all good. So your first year on staff was 2003. Were you 18? Was it like – or 19? Was it the first? I was 19, yeah. Okay. It was my um, 
Um, I have a September birthday, so I'm like old for my age, right. you know, for high, for school. So it was after my first year of college. I was 19, and I was just like, I was buzzing. I was so excited. I was at Baldy Town, which I loved. I mean, there are a lot of great views on the ranch. One of the ones that I think doesn't get as much credit as it's due is the one from the Bali Town front porch, just like looking down over everything. Yeah. It was it was a good summer. I had a good CD. Mick Mullins was my CD. He and I got along really well. We're both a little uh, anal retentive. And so that worked well for us. Um, that is one funny thing from that summer. We, there was a, it was one of the summers where there was a norovirus outbreak. Kids were sick all over the place. And Mick took one of the, the gray wash tubs and filled it with probably too concentrated solution of bleach water. And the rule was basically just like every time you go in and out of the cabin, you dip your hands in the bleach water. Because <laughs> it was like, I think Purell existed then, but not like it does today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we just bleached our hands a lot. But I will say nobody on our staff got norovirus. And that was not true for a lot of other staffs picked it up. Yeah. Um, none of us, none of us went down. I know sometimes Baldy is infamous for lots of uh, health lodge calls or <laughs> yes. having to go up and down the mountain or halfway up and halfway down. Was was that summer the same? Um, that summer was not too bad. Um, I also, again, being a relatively slow hiker, rarely got sent on hasties, which was <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, um, I am the like, I will stay back and work the radio and make sure that there is like food and a coffee and hot cocoa for everyone when they get back down. That's, yeah. I'm just, very good at that. And just as important. Um, yeah. 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 That, that's but a- no, we were pretty lucky that year. Um, it was not too bad. Later on, when I was at French, was a bad year. That was 2000. Yeah. That sounds right. And uh, that was the year that 11 people got struck by lightning on top of the mountain. And it was really scary. It was very scary. Most of them ended up going down the Baldy Town side. It was, it was a big deal. Everybody was fine. Everybody lived. It was okay. But it was very scary for a while. And we were just over at French kind of listening and keeping an eye on things. And we had a crew come down the mountain and... This is one of this is one of the things that I remember very clearly. And I'm doing their porch talk and like, oh, how was, you know, how was the mountain? Blah, blah, blah. And they said, Oh, you should ask Mr. So-and-so. And I said, Oh, Mr. So-and-so, how was the mountain? He was like, Oh, it's no big deal. I just got struck by lightning. And I went, excuse me. <laughs> Wait a minute here. Oh my gosh. So this is only happening on the other side. And he wanted to keep going. He wanted to keep hiking. And I had to explain to him that, like, you can't do that. It's electrical energy. It can mess with your heart rhythms. Like, I, I think I pulled him aside and was like, this, like, you could have a heart attack from this tomorrow. Do you want your son to wake up to that? Yeah. And he finally was like, okay, fine. And so then that was really, it was kind of fun because there was a, 10-3 on the radio, like, you know, there's no radio traffic allowed for anything except this rescue that was happening. 
And so I called in Telfage and Logistics immediately jumps in and they're, and they're like, um, French Henry, are you aware there's a 10-3? And I was like, uh, yes, this is related. I promise. <laughs> this is, I promise you need to hear this as well. I'm glad he went down. And, you know, he came back three days later. He was fine. Everything was fine. But yeah. That was the right call. <laughs> just being careful. Yeah. 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 It's cool that you, your first summer, you were at Baldy, a PC in 2003, and then your last summer in 2007, CD at French. So you yeah. did this like up and over the mountain, um, yeah. metaphorically. Kind of full circle. Yeah. Yeah. Back so to- that's neat. Yeah. Because, you know, at Baldy, we did, and I think it's different now. I think there's some more stuff there now. We just did a little bit of the history and we sometimes have the geologists, but I got really interested in the mining history. And so then when I was at French, I got to, you know, we got to do the mine tours and panning for gold and blacksmithing and all the, the mining stuff. So I'm generally not like a believer in ghosts and that kind of thing. But at least at the time from the research that we had, our understanding was that the mind shifts, there were two mind shifts and they switched out at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. And if you were doing afternoon mind tours, you would be in the mine at 5 p.m. and usually not paying attention to the time because you're just busy doing tours the whole time. And then it would just get like cold it would be, you know, it's always cold in the mind, but there would be sort of like an extra chill that kind of swept through. And I swear every time that happened, it was 5 p.m. And I was like, oh, it's shift change. Like cool. the miners are changing their shifts. Yeah. Um, it was, which actually, I mean, at least to me, it felt really cool. Not a spooky, but felt like a connection. Maybe it was all in my head. I don't know. Yeah. I felt like a fun connection to the folks who had worked in that mine previously, obviously doing a completely different, um, completely different type of work. But it was, um, it was eerie how every time that happened, and then I would check the time and it was always right at five. So a lot of times I would, um, for both Baldy and French, I would hike, I would like park and hike to Miranda the night before I was due back from days. And I would sleep in the teepee a lot. That's another place where you just kind of get those like weird vibes of like a lot happened here. I don't know. I never like saw there was always the legend of like the little girl down at the end of the meadow. I never saw her or anything, but you just get that feeling. Who knows? Maybe it's just owls watching you or something like that. But either way, I mean, like you like you were saying, it's Philmont has a very rich history and there were many people there before us. And um, Mm -hmm. so when you do get those moments to connect or experience and feel those things, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought so. In between there, you were a PC at Rich, then CD Fish, then CD Rich. I loved those. Um, So when I was a PC at Rich, my camp director was Jackie Clark, now Jackie Denson. And um, she later became my backcountry manager and is like just one of my best friends. Her, like I'm godmother to her daughter. She, we just really, really got along really well. Um, and I learned a lot from her. Um, I learned so much from her. It was really nice to work 
as a PC for two very different camp directors. They had very different styles, Nick and Jackie. It was good for me to see two totally different ways of running camp, both very successful that I could um, take and use. And it turned out I really like homesteading. (laughs) It's really fun. We joke that if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, we just need to get like a mining camp and a homesteading camp together. And between the two of us, we've got all the skills we need. <laughs> you know, I wonder if this is, I, I do the same thing too with my like Philmont group of people where uh, we're always like, okay, who's on your, who's on your like zombie apocalypse team and what camp are you going to be at? And I, I wonder how many people have this conversation because this isn't the first time someone's brought that up. That's, I bet a lot. It's a fun conversation. That's too funny. I'll have to dig more into that <laughs> on a later episode, maybe next Halloween or something. Next, we'll... Yeah, that would be a fun Halloween thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you think about it and it's like you learn how to raise animals. You learn how to get food from those animals. Maybe not necessarily eating the animals themselves, but eggs at the very least. And that's when I learned that fresh eggs are the best. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. The best eggs in the world. Yeah. You learn how to garden, you learn how to grow food. Learning how to blacksmith was was useful. The knitting, you know, I I can make everybody's clothes. Yeah, it was I I really enjoyed it and I loved just learning about it was it was really neat to be at Rich and at Fish because they both have very specific stories of very, very specific real people who were there at that time. Um, and so you can really kind of dig into not just the general what was happening, but also like who were the rich family. One of the years, actually, I think it was the year that I was CD there, there was a rich family reunion and a bunch of their descendants came out and we cooked them a big dinner and they got to eat on the big table. And that was super cool. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be really neat as as one of their their descendants, you know, great, great grandkids or whatever, to be able to go back to the house that your ancestors lived in and see that it's still being kept up and used and their family's legacy lives on. So that was in 2006. You were CD at Rich. I, I wonder so. if I wonder if they did like a 10 year one in 2016. I'll have to. Well, maybe. I wonder if other. If or I wonder if they they continue to do that. That's They've really. Never neat. done that again. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of talking about you know the different camp directors and. Uh, different influential influential people. Was there anyone else that really like mentored you or you really looked up to while you were out there? Absolutely. Um, Doug Palmer, 100%. I know everybody from sort of my generation, our generation says Doug. Um, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Doug was just, I mean, he really was like a second father figure to me. I learned so much from him, practical things, you know, running camp and stuff like that, but just life lessons and how to treat people. And, you know, after he retired, I was able to go visit them out in Taos once or twice and keep in touch with Miss Betty and Ashton. And just, I can just, you know, I have so many good memories of driving around with Doug listening to Patsy Klein and he had like a cooler of iced tea in the back 
And it was just like, he knew that he had a great job. It was a hard job. He worked really hard. He did a lot of stuff, but he knew that he had a good job, but he also had, um, you know, all of these kids that he looked after and made sure that we were okay and made sure that we were taking care of ourselves and taking care of our camps and our staff. And I remember when I was camp director at fish camp, um, which we share, we were both camp directors. Oh, there. Yay. Yay. I remember he was just able to build you up in a way and give you this confidence. And I just knew I was going to love it. And I, I, it was my first year as a CD and I just knew I, I've got this, I can run this camp. And Doug really like allowed me that confidence. It was just like, have a great summer, you know? Go get yeah. it. Go at yeah. it. And it was a great summer. Maybe, maybe one of my best. And so I'm always really impressed when people can it seems so effortless how he can just like build other people up. Yeah, he had he had high expectations for us, but he knew that we could meet them. And he yeah, he instilled that confidence that like you need to do your work and you need to do it well, but I know that you can do it. Yeah. I love Doug so much. Speaking of confidence and and the experience as a staff member on Philmont, it's a wonderful job. Um, was there anything that was really challenging for you? I hated having to evaluate my staff <laughs> when I was a camp director. It's a hard skill, right? It, yeah. it is. And it was the first time that I had ever been in that position. I had never, you know, I was 20, 21, 22. I had never been a manager of people before. I did kind of a bad job of it my first year because what I learned after that was that that when you actually sit down to do the eval with your staff, whether it's midsummer or at the end, like nothing should be a surprise. They should already know basically what you think of them if they need to improve where they need to improve. And I had not done a good job of communicating that sort of thing. It was hard and it, it was harder on my staff for sure than it was on me to find out like, oh, I've been doing this thing not as well as I could. And I realized like, oh, I need to be more communicative early on, you know, throughout the summer, not just wait until midsummer evals to be like, oh, by the way, <laughs> that was a definitely a big learning curve for me. And I never... I never really enjoyed it. It was not fun. I loved working with the staff. I was pretty lucky. I had great staff members. Our fish camp year was was weird. We had all women on the staff at fish, which is unusual. I thought it was awesome. I had a great time. Um, we were balanced out because that was a year that cabin rest was, um, at fish working on the building a little bit up the river. And that was, um, the year that cabin rest was like the Tennessee boys. So it was Patty Davis and Corey Yance and Brian Rapold and all of like those folks. And so <laughs> there was plenty of male energy in that camp. It was a fun and weird thing to be working at Boy Scout camp with like all girls. All yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that's happened ever since then or before. Like, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. There's always been, you know, all male camps at Philmont, but that Mm -hmm. one summer there was an all female camp. Yeah. (laughs) I was supposed to be going into that summer. I had been 
hired to be the CD at PJ and Jackie Clark was going to be the CD at Fish. And then I don't remember who it was, but for whatever reason, one of the backcountry managers couldn't come back. And so Jackie got promoted to BCM and I got moved to Fish. And we joked a lot. She was like, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have had all all females on my stuff. It's a, it's a really good thing this happened. Um, she totally could have, she would have been fine. But, um, and yeah. I learned that I loved to tie flies. That was a summer and I know this varies summer to summer, but that was a summer where there was enough water and enough fish that scouts were allowed to keep any of the non-native trout that they caught. So there was this whole big cutthroat trout restoration project that happened sometime in the mid-2000s to try to repopulate the streams with the native fish. So if you caught a rainbow or a brown, you could keep them up to some, there was some limit, but none of the the scouts ever hit the limit. It was kind of one of the first times I, I started teaching science was teaching them how to gut a fish, which A, was just cool because they didn't think a girl could be okay with like gross fish. It also would turn into like a little science lesson because you're kind of like dissecting a fish and like, oh, here's the swim bladder. Let me tell you about swim bladders. They're super cool. That kind of thing. Doug is going to like get chills when I say this. He's going to get shivers when I say this and he's not going to know why. Um, I don't actually enjoy actual fishing very much, Um, but I love tying flies and I love helping people deal with their fish afterward. So again, it's kind of, you know, everybody has their thing um, and I'm real good at cooking them up. So uh, there's value in that. We had some, (laughs) sometimes the, the cabin rest guys would um, bring in a good fish haul and we would have fish for dinner and that was delicious. Yeah. I mean, there's so much you get to experience at Filma. It's just bringing me back to all the things, you know, all the way from, like the first time managing people or giving an evaluation and how you have to learn how to do that um, to learning how to tie flies and teachable moments. And it's just such a rich experience to be on staff. Were there any specific backcountry traditions that you got to take part in or really loved? Oh, I love a campfire. Um, I am not a great musician. I can play the piano. That's not very helpful in the backcountry. So working at a camp fire camp was, was never for me, but I love, I love campfires. Again, like I would always try to spend a night my first year there. I would always go to Miranda and then back to Baldy town. And I realized really quickly, both from Miranda and any other camp that I visited that I could, because I didn't know anyone, you know, I was brand new staff member. I didn't know anyone. Yeah, And so what I started doing was I would go into town and buy butterscotch chips and show up at camp and be like, hey, can I hang out here? Also, I brought butterscotch chips. Can I bake you some cookies? And nobody ever said no to, <laughs> to cookies. And so that became kind of a tradition of like, my last night of days, I would always spend the night in the backcountry before going in uh, or before, you know, some camp nearby where I needed to get back to. And I would bake for them or cook or whatever. And because I just, I just enjoy doing that and um, have like 
one night in the backcountry to just like relax and hang out. I like that you um, would either go to Poblano or Miranda or nearby camps the the day before you had to be back at, at your your camp. I think that's a neat consideration. I kind of wish I had done that instead of like rushing to backcountry warehouse porch in the morning, you know, hoping to get to your camp by noon. Um, it would have been cool to have that night to decompress and and share camaraderie with another, you know, a fellow neighboring camp. I definitely did the rush to the backcountry porch uh, when I was at Fish because that was a little harder to yeah, park it's, close and hike yep, in. That's fair. Um, yeah. It was nice yeah. when I had, when it was at camps where they were a little bit closer and yeah, I could just go hang out with the neighbors. And if you could go back, where, where would you want to work? Is there another camp you, Ooh, um, or would you try Ranger again? <laughs> would you go for that? <laughs> no, I am. It turns out that Ranger would not have been a good <laughs> job for me. Um, my, uh, especially now my knees are, they're getting old. Um, I want to go, but I keep thinking like, I want to go back and do a PSA track or something like that. And I think, oh my gosh, I would need like titanium level you could do the knee PSA, braces. We could do the PSA cavalcade. I could, that I could do. There <laughs> yes. you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what I really wanted, and I think they kind of tried to do this is, this is on my plan for when I get rich, uh, which will never happen because I work for the state government. But I always wanted to donate and like build back Baldy Town because there were a couple of foundations that were still there. And there's, I mean, of course, there's incredible maps of the the whole place. And I think it would be a really interesting idea. I mean, you, you could totally turn it into if you wanted to, but you wouldn't even have to, to just build back a lot more of what was there because it really was a pretty... There was a lot going on, and I think it would be interesting to to rebuild a lot of that, which would be fun. So now I'm an astronomer. That is something I have been interested in since I was tiny. And so I loved, I mean, the skies at Philmont are just incredible. You know, you just get so many, so many stars that you don't see growing up in the city. And I don't even know if Ring still does astronomy if that's still the program there i know when we were at baldy and french we had visiting geologists and i'm like do you need a visiting astronomer at ring yeah. i think that would be so much fun i would yeah. love to love yeah. to do that uh, do, yeah do you want to talk a little bit more about what you're doing today because well first of all so obviously like the listeners can't see but we're on video and you have this awesome Philmont shirt on <laughs> um with like you describe yeah, it a little I'll bit. It. Yeah. So okay. So the background is that there are, are two constellations: Ursa Minor and Ursa Major, the Big Bear and the Little Bear. But then there is also a little mini bear that's drawn right next to Ursa Major, and so it says Philmont Scout Ranch, home of the Ursa Mini, which I just really love. I was surprised to see this shirt in the trading post because I feel like it's pretty niche, but it is niche just for me. I love it. I love it. I'm jealous. I I think they need to bring that one back. Um, (laughs) And so today you you teach astronomy. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So today I teach astronomy and some physics um, at the College of Charleston, and I do research on exploding stars. I 
get to spend some time out at telescopes that are often in places very similar to Fulmont and have the like the big dark skies and there's just there's just nothing like it when you're out in in a meadow at Fulmont and you can just see thousands of stars. So yeah, I'm available as a visiting astronomer and it is literally my job to teach people about astronomy. So I think this needs to happen. Whoever's listening yeah. that can make this happen. <laughs> I got to do a little bit of it in 2015. There was a PTC STEM program that happened and I got to go out as like a leader for that. It was it was not a STEM trek. It was based out of PTC. So I did um, a little bit of astronomy and then I also taught a little bit of geology. That was actually, that was, that's my, my extra Indian writing story is that one of the things that I really wanted to find and we did find it is there is a place just down from IW where, and, and kind of near the T-Rex track where the, what's called the KPG boundary is exposed. And so that's the layer and the earth where the asteroid hit that killed all the dinosaurs. And because of, you know, geological uplifts in mountains and stuff like that, there are places all over the world where it is exposed. And one of the ones in North America is on Fulmont property. And it's super cool. So we took the we took the kids there and saw the place where where it all happened. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. It's not marked at all, which I think is kind of unusual. So you just have to kind of know what you were looking for. I was lucky I had my some of my paleo friends gave me information about like where to look for it and what it should look like and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we were able to find it. Well, Ashley, since you have your foot in the door already um, from doing the youth STEM program at PTC, I really do hope you get to go be a visiting astronomer. As we wrap things up here, do you have anyone that you would like to to nominate to be on the show? I already mentioned uh, Jackie Clark Kazensen. You've already interviewed some of uh, some of other folks I would have suggest- suggested. Um, Sarah Burgess in particular is, is amazing. Actually, I think Cindy Link, Cindy Thomas would be a fun one too. This feels like nepotism, but it might be fun to interview my brother and sister-in-law. So I worked at Fulmont for five summers and my, my poor brother just had to hear about it all the time. His first year on staff, he was a PC at Crater Lake. I did not pull any strings, but what I did do was I, I sent Doug an email and I said, this is my brother. When you read on his application that he plays six different instruments and sings, like he is not lying. Um, <laughs> nice. And yeah. he would absolutely, he got all the musical talent in the family. He would be a real asset to a campfire camp. And the person that he married um, was actually an academy ranger. Um, he married his Vilfling as the older sister who, you know, kind of got him into being on staff. I like to take credit for that. But, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you know, maybe Heather Harvey would be a fun interview. Yeah, I've thought um, about that. Since you worked with her, too. Yeah. She And maybe she can confirm the knitting thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes on the show, I like to ask people if they have an 11th essential. Yeah, I mean, now for sure, it's my phone, which feels very 
I don't know. I would have I would have looked down on myself for doing that. Yeah, <laughs> 15 years ago for sure. <laughs> we all probably um, would, yeah. Yeah. Partly for the like safety reason, you know, being able to call, but also just it's such a good camera now and you know, I used to carry either a couple of disposable cameras or big um, DSLR that I would haul around with me. And I got great pictures with it. I love, you know, I love the pictures I took with it, but it sure is big and heavy. And the fact that we all have these wonderful, tiny little cameras right now, you know, we take only pictures, leave only footprints, and it's so much easier. I think sure. that's, a, that's a fair essential. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. This was really, really fun. Mm-hmm.